Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, now we come to you as we open our Bibles. Lord, we also want to open our hearts at the same time so that, Lord, you would remove from us any trace of criticalness, of bitterness, or anything, Lord, that would stand in the way of you feeding us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now, if you turn to your Bibles, you can turn to two places here. It's always the the verse that we're always looking at here in Exodus 24, Exodus 24, verse 8, verse 6, really. Exodus 24, 6, and then we're going to go to Numbers 13, Numbers 13, 11. First, we're going to look at Exodus 24, 6, and we're going to see here what Moses did, this remarkable thing, where it says in Exodus 24, 6, Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant, read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Just picture that in your mind, how, how Moses so graphically linked the people to, to, to the book and to the altar by the blood, by the blood. Then we go over to Hebrews 13.11, Hebrews 13.11 for the, the, the aspect of the blood that we're studying tonight. Hebrews 13.11 where it says in Hebrews 13.11 is speaking about the bodies of the, of the animals that were, that were the sacrifices there. But it says here in Hebrews 13.11, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the gate, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now, it was like I said, it was where Moses was standing there. He's standing before the church of Israel, the church of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. He takes the blood of the sacrifices and he sprinkles the people. And then he says these amazing words when he says, behold, the blood of the covenant. And that's been the basis for our series here as we've been studying. It's the series is behold the blood. And we've been studying all the different aspects or at least many of the aspects that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished. That's the important word to grab a hold of. That's the important word, accomplished, because it comes from the last words of the Lord Jesus from John 19.30, as we saw, where it says in John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it 
is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And that's why I never, ever, ever, ever want you to think that what the Lord Jesus meant when he said it's finished is that, whew, I'm glad that was over. (laughs) Finally, it's over. I'm so glad the cross is finished. Never think that. Never think that because that's not what he meant when he said it is finished. And, and as I said, in, in the Greek, it's to telestai, but the Lord was not speaking Greek from the cross. As a matter of fact, he was speaking Aramaic or Hebrew, which is, which is essentially, Aramaic is essentially Hebrew. And, and there's one chapter in the Old Testament that our minds and our hearts go back to when we think about the vivid description of what he was enduring or bearing on the cross, and that's not Isaiah 53, that's Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, it starts with this great time, the greatest time of darkness in his life when he cried out in Psalm 22, one, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that was the Lord speaking. In fact, all of Psalm 22 is what the Lord said sometimes verbally, as in this case, and mostly non-verbally, what he was speaking in his heart, and from the cross, when he's on the cross. That's what makes Psalm 22 so amazing to us. And it starts with this this question. He asks, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he answers that question in in verse 3, in Psalm 22.3. In Psalm 22.3, when he says, well, here's the answer, thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So it was the sigh of his soul when he said, oh yes, I know the answer to the question, why he's forsaken me. God is holy. I've been now made the sin offering. And the suffering continues all throughout Psalm 22 as the Lord feels every aspect, both mental and uh, anguish on his soul, anguish on his body, and, the, and there's the, he feels the scorn, he feels the rejection, as, it's, as he says in verse 6 of Psalm 22, 6, Psalm 22, 6, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake their head, and they say, and he heard so distinctly when they said, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him? Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted him in him. That was a suffering to his soul. This was the people he came to save. This was the key people he came to rescue. This is the people that he stretched out his arms and loved and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you? And to see them down there making fun of him, saying, oh, come down from the cross so we can see and believe. And the suffering continued for the Lord as he felt the physical pain of dehydration, the chief cause of his death, dehydration, All his bones were out of joint when the cross was taken up and cruelly dropped into that socket in the earth, and it caused all his bones to be out of out of joint. He describes the condition of pericarditis, where water is flooding into the sack around his heart, and 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 he says in Psalm twenty-two, verse fourteen, verse fourteen, Psalm twenty-two, verse fourteen. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He's there on the cross. 
The wind blows. He looks down. This is the place of death. This is a place where the ground has been made red with the blood of those, those that they were crucified there. And he looks down and as he sees that dust blowing across, he says, that's like me. I brought me into the dust of death. And after he dies, and then the focus turns to you and the focus turns to me. In verse 20, in, in, in Psalm 22, verse 30, Psalm 22, verse 30 and 31, Psalm 22, verses 30 and 31, the focus comes to us. And it says, a seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Ah, the answer to the question that was from Isaiah 53, which said, who shall declare his generation? Where are his kids? Where are his children? The answer comes in Psalm 22, verse 30. It's the seed. It's us. We are his children. We are accounted to the Lord for a generation. Then it describes what we do in the last verse of Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 31. Verse 31 tells what we do. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. Voila. That he hath done this. That he hath done this. We are the seed that served the Lord. We are counted to the Lord as his generation, his children. And what we describe, what we do, what we do is, is, is defined by two actions. Two actions in, in, the, in Psalm twenty two thirty one, verse 31. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. The first action in Psalm 22, verse 31, is they shall come. They shall step forward. That means you and I are to step forward and speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to shrink back. We're not to be afraid. We're not to cower in a corner, but we are to come out boldly. And that's the second action. The second action in verse 31 is described as they shall declare. They shall declare. That's a very interesting word. It means that when we step out boldly, we are to have a clear, strong message to declare. Declare is an important word. That's our job. To declare. It reminds me one time when I was at Heathrow Airport in London, just after I got my luggage, and I was standing there, after you get your luggage from the turnstiles there where the luggage comes out, you go, you leave the airport there, but there's two places to leave. One is a place that says, nothing to declare. And everyone's going out that way, and another sign says, something to declare. And no one's going there. And I thought to myself, well, that's right. That's the world. The world has nothing to declare. So they all go out that way. But as Christians, we have something to declare. Now, I don't want you all to go out that way because people are going to come to you and say, what do you have to declare? And then, well, that's good. You can tell them I have to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what I have to declare. And they may call some other people, but anyway. <laughs> but it's Psalm 31. It says, they shall come and declare and so the question is, what are we going to declare? What are we going to declare? Oh, it says that in Psalm 31, in Psalm 22, verse 31. It tells us, and they shall declare his righteousness, not our greatness, but his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. So our first declaration is his righteousness. That means we are to declare the absolute righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to declare his perfect sinlessness. We are to declare how when his enemies challenged him in John 8, 46, John 8, 46, and he, 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 when he challenged his enemies, rather, when he challenged his enemies, which one, which one, which one of you convinceth me or convicts me of sin? Which one? Which one? 
That means we are to declare all that he did and the wonderful acts that he did, which is really summarized up in Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38 is a summary statement where it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We're to declare that. We're to declare. He, did you know that he held, healed this man of his blindness? Do you know that he forgave this woman who was caught in adultery? Do you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Do you know there was a lunatic man in, in the Gadarenes, and he was in the, he was in the cemeteries cutting himself. He was naked. Do you know how he delivered him? Do you know about Mary Magdalene that he delivered out of seven devils? That's what we are to declare. All of his wonderful works, how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. But especially, we are to declare from verse 31, Psalm 22, 31, they shall come, declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this, not only his righteousness, but that he hath done this. See, and the last word there is a very important word in Hebrew, which is the word asa. That's the last word in the Psalm 22, ki asa, that he hath he, he has done this. He, he done this. And asa means, means done, but it also means, it can be mean accomplished or achieved. That's the last Hebrew word of Psalm 22 that you cried out from, that, that, from Psalm 22. That's the last Hebrew word that he cried out from the cross. For what it says, it is finished, what he said in Hebrew or Aramaic is asa or accomplished, and it's what he accomplished on the cross, it's what his blood accomplished that we are declared to the world. We are to declare to the world what his blood accomplished. And so far that we've been seeing in the series here that what his blood did accomplish was, first of all, the remission or the removal of sins, just the taking away of them from Hebrews 9.22. We are to declare the redemption of souls, his redeeming of souls, from that's what his blood accomplished from 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. We are to declare the covering or the atonement, that's what it means, the covering of sins from Leviticus 17, 11. Leviticus 17, 11. We are to declare reconciliation between two opposing parties, God and man, how, how he brought them back together, how he brought them back together. You got, when, you, when you talk to kids or you talk to adults, which are just grown-up kids, well, when you talk to, you say, in the, in, in the Garden of Eden, it was like this. God and man was like this. And then man did this when he sinned in, in Genesis 3. And then so God returned the favor and did that as well. And then what happened was that God then immediately came back. Adam, where art thou? Came back like that. And, that, and, and on the whole purpose was so that man can come back like this. This is reconciliation. This is reconciliation. This is before the fall. This is the fall. This is the consequences of the fall. This is God seeking man. And this is reconciliation, which comes from us from Ephesians 2.13. Ephesians 2.13. His blood is accomplishing all this. And then his blood accomplished the cleansing of our souls from 1 John 1.17. 1 John 1.17. Then peace with God from Colossians 1.20. Colossians 1.20. Then justification justification from Romans 5, 9, from Romans 5, 9. And then as we saw last week, making our robes white, 
in the blood of the Lamb. That's Revelation 7.14. Revelation 7.14. Okay, so now we go to one more accomplishment of his blood, which is Hebrews 13.12. Hebrews 13.12, which is where we are now, where it says, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. There it is, an accomplishment of his blood. Sanctification. Now, the context of, these, of this, this, uh, this uh, section here in Hebrews 13 has a special aspect of sanctification that the blood accomplished that is brought out in this passage. This is made clear when we look at the verses before it in, in uh, verse 13, Hebrews 13, uh, sorry, 11. Hebrews 13, 11, Hebrews 13, 11, where it says, uh, it talks about the bodies of those beasts whose blood was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. This is referring to the practice of what was done with the sacrifice. There were two parts, uh, you might say, of the sacrifice. There was the blood and there was the body of the animal. There was the blood of the sacrifice, the sacrificial animal, and then there was the body of the sacrificial animal. We are told in verse 11 that the blood of the sacrifice, oh, that was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest. That was the great day of atonement. That was the Yom Kippur. That was the once a year when the high priest would bring the blood into the Holy of Holies to make an atonement for the sins of the people. And we see that practice, how the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought his own blood before God the Father and presented it as an offering to make an atonement for our, for our, for our sin. It's so wonderful to think about what the blood of the Lord Jesus accomplished. I mean, can you just, it, it, it's not described this way, it's just making this up. Who's asking me? Nobody, I'll say it anyway. So when, when, when the Lord, just kind of picture a door of heaven, you know, a door, a gate of heaven. And, and the first person to go in to, to open the door is the Lord Jesus. And so he pushes on this door to heaven and, 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 and we all follow. He pushes on the door to heaven and pushes it open. Only thing is on his hands that he's pushing the door open is blood from his cross. And so he leaves blood on the door kind of like the door of the Passover, you know, but he leaves blood on the door. And now we go rushing in. But as we're going in, we, we're, we're going through that door and we stop and we, and we kind of like, kind of like Moses with the burning bush. He stops. I will consider and see why this bush is not. But hey, so we, we look at the, the door and say, why is there blood on that door? And it tells the whole story. It tells the whole story because the door was opened to us by the person who had to bleed. And so that's a, anyway, <clears throat> that's not in the Bible, and I wasn't asked to write any part of the Bible, so yeah. anyway, but, so, but, 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 but the focus here is on the body of the sacrifice, which was burned outside the camp. So it's the focus of our attention now is this outside the camp, outside or without the camp in verses 11 and 12, where it's told that, the, the, look, these animals didn't die a natural death, they were killed. So the point is emphasized in verse 12, and there's the weight on this point, is that the Lord Jesus didn't die a natural death. He was killed, he, and he suffered without the gate. In verse 12, it says he suffered without the gate. So this is the emphasis now. He's suffering without the gate, and it's important for us to see, and we need to think back on what was done to those animals, because before those animals were killed, what happened was that hands were placed on, on the head of those animals, Hands were placed, and, 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 and it wasn't to bless those animals. 
but hands were placed on those animals as confession of sin was made. The people's sins were confessed over the head of those animals, and, 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 and that was a very dramatic way to symbolize the placing of the sins on, on those animals when the heads were put on there. I mean, when the hands were put on there. That was to teach us how the Lord Jesus was the John 129, John 129, Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Because our sins were placed on him as it's emphasized over and over and over again in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, 5, it starts. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are, we are healed. Why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And then what happened? And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it goes on in verse 8. Verse 8 is emphasized. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And it goes on in verse 11. He shall bear their iniquities. I'm all talking about Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 11. He shall bear their iniquities. And finally, finally, it says in Isaiah 53, 12, the last verse in Isaiah 53, verse 12, he bear the sin of many. So, with the sins of the people on the animals, the animals are killed and the bodies are taken outside the city. And then when the bodies were burned outside the city, they were burned. The bodies of the animals were burned outside the city. Why? Because it showed how the people felt toward their own sin, or as it's supposed to. to show how the people felt toward their own sin. They hated their own sin. They're burned outside the city. It's the same as Paul saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? It's the detest of personal sin. And just as when the Lord Jesus was made the sin offering, and I don't ever want you to think that he became actual sin itself, just like those animals. It was laid on those animals. It was laid on him. And he bore our sins. So whenever it says he was made sin for us, always think he was made a sin offering for us, okay. But he bore all of our sins on himself. He was killed outside the city, and it showed he was killed outside the city how much God the Father hated sin to the point he's killed outside the city, to the point where he turns his back on him, and then he makes this cry in Mark 15, 34, Mark 15, 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he suffer like that outside the city and allow himself to become the detested sin offering? It was purpose, because he was driven by purpose. He had a purpose. He wanted to see his people have their sin removed from them. And that was the only way. So the emphasis on the animals being burned outside the city is to show how the, the detest of sin. It was to show how the, the, the animals were made a sin offering and so the people burned the animals outside the city. The animals were set apart. The animals were separated from the city. The animals were sanctified when they were burned outside the city. And this is the point of, uh, the, of the Lord's suffering outside the city that's emphasized in verse 12 when it says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. 
And that's exactly what we read about when he was crucified in Luke 23.33. Luke 23.33, it describes when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left hand. It says in, 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 in Matthew 27.33, Matthew 27.33, when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull. So this place where he was crucified is called, it means the same thing in the Greek, Calvary, like Calvarius, the, the head, Calvary, or in the Hebrew, Golgotha, it means a skull. So the Lord is crucified in a place called the skull. It's outside the city, which, by the way, that disqualifies the place of the Catholic Church, which claims to be the place where he was crucified, called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.